Our topic tonight, out of the book of Esther, chapter 4, the magnanimity of Esther. That's a big word, huh? Magnanimity. A magnanimity of Esther. Did I get it right? No. That was too big for me. I can only do three syllables. I can't do four. Magnanimity. Magnanimity. What it says there. Okay, what it says there. All right. Esther's time. <laughs> the greatness of Esther. How's that? Okay, when, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, and that's a reference to what had just happened, but in review of the first three chapters, uh, the king gets rid of the queen, and thus he needs a new queen in the third year of his reign, and so he spends four years looking for a queen, and along comes Esther, and he decides to make her queen, and then she is queen for five years until this time when Mordecai learned all that had happened. The king exalts this man Haman boo, to, uh, to his uh, second in command. And um, Haman wants everyone bowing down to him. Mordecai refused to bow down to him. Haman wants him killed, and not only him, uh, but he finds out he's Jewish, and he wants all the Jewish people killed. So that's what, when Mordecai learned all that, that had happened, as far as the death decree, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, and no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. So he went as far as he could, and he's wearing sackcloth, ashes, and just in mourning. Now, it doesn't say he's praying. But again, it doesn't mention that anywhere in, in, in the book of Esther. It doesn't mention God, no religious connotations. And again, giving me the theory that, uh, that this was not written for the Bible, but this was written maybe for the King's Chronicles. And so it's just, just kind of a secular document of events that took place. And so there he is, no doubt praying, uh, but clothed in sackcloth and ashes, and he's crying and he's mourning and he's uh, with a loud and bitter cry. And he goes only as far as the gate, because you're not allowed into the palace area if you're wearing sackcloth. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, it's, and so that's what it kind of gives you an indication of what's going on inside the, uh, the palace. They don't want to know any bad news, right? No mourning going on in here. We don't care who died in your family. Put on a happy face. Don't worry. Be happy. You know, just smile. And, and that's what goes on in the palace. Everything is kind of good news. Just telling the king good news. Everything's good. Everything's okay. And that's all we want to hear here. And, and so he can't even get beyond the gate, right? So they had their safe place, right? So the, the palace area is a safe place. You know, we don't want to hear anything that upsets the king. Right? So, um, and so they have their little cordon off area there of, of happy place and, uh, in the, in, inside the palace. And so in every providence where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And again, it doesn't say praying, but I have no doubt they were praying. And so throughout all the provinces, and that's a huge area, 127 provinces, all the way from India to Egypt. So that would be including the area of Israel and Jerusalem. And there they are, weeping and wailing. Now, really, they didn't need to even be there. They shouldn't have been there. With about 50 or so years prior to this, actually more than that, maybe 70 or so years prior to that, 
Cyrus had given us a decree that we could go back. And most did not. Most stayed in Persia. And then there were the years of the building, and there were some good years in that, and some troublesome years in that. And some more went back, and Darius allowed some more went back. But obviously a lot stayed in Medo-Persia, in the Sushan area. I mean, all of it was still Medo-Persia, I guess, at that point. But in Sushan, and in other provinces. And then they had peace in Jerusalem, must have been for close to 50 years, because there's no mention of any problems. And they no doubt were having peace in, in, in Sushan and the other provinces, because there's no mention of any problems until this one. And so they got very comfortable there. They had their jobs, they had their businesses, generation after generation now. It's been, oh, maybe over 100 years since Babylon first took us captive, close to 140 years. And so they're, they're very comfortable, become very comfortable, assimilated, still kept their Judaism. Mordecai knew his lineage, but did not heed the prophecy and the call to go back to Jerusalem, help with the rebuilding, help with the establishment of the country again. And they stayed there where they were. And this whole story wouldn't have taken place. Esther would not have been taken into the king's palace. This whole death decree would not have taken place if Mordecai and Esther and many, many others, if not all of them, had obeyed the prophecy of Jeremiah and the prophecy of Daniel to go back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. But they didn't. And we will experience problems in our lives if we are not where the Lord would have us to be, if we're not obedient to his calling, if we're remaining in Babylon, if we're remaining in the world, if we're remaining in the, in the things of this world, in the sins of this world, in participating in the things of this world, and just assimilating into the crowd, oh, we may have our once-a-week religion, or we may have our private in our home religion in addition to that, but if it's not lived out in our lives, and we're just blending in, watching what the world watches, reading what the world reading, listening to what they're doing, talking like they are, shopping like they do, and no different than anyone else in the world. Then we become a part of the world, and the world becomes a part of us. God calls us to live in the world, but not be of the world, to come out of the worldliness of this world and be God's peculiar people, even amidst the world that we're living in. And thus we can shine as lights in the dark world that we're around. And so they had a decree, they had a command, and they did not follow it, and thus this calamity comes upon them. Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. So she's not distressed for what he's distressed about. She's distressed that he's in sackcloth. Oh, poor Mordecai. Well, we'll just solve that. We'll just get him a new set of clothing. Right? Oh, new clothing will make everybody happy, right? You know, that's, that's what she's become. In five years, she's become assimilated into the kingdom. You know, that's just what we do here. We just buy some new stuff and we're happy. And so we'll just buy him some new stuff. He'll just take off the sackcloth. She doesn't know. Maybe you would, would think she'd assume that someone died in the family or something that he's out there. But no, we'll just send him some new clothes. 
Just tell them to take off the sackcloth. Stop worrying about it. Just be happy. And so Esther called Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and what, why this was. She has no idea. This death decree has gone around the whole entire country of Medo-Persia, all the way to India, all the way to Egypt, covering a, a, a large number of countries today. And there she is, right in the capital where the decree was written, and she has no idea what's going on. You know, people think, oh, well, she was queen. That must have been great. Oh, boy, I bet she was so excited to, to hear that she got picked to be maybe one of the queens, one of the, be picked to be a possible queen. And then, oh, when she got picked to be the queen, oh, she must have been so excited. I doubt it was so exciting. She doesn't even get to go outside and ask Mordecai what's up. She's had no contact with him. Maybe wave a little bit. Communication through Haytack and, and Mordecai, little notes back and forth. But she didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving. She didn't get to go home for Passover. She didn't get to go home on the weekends. She's stuck there in the palace, isolated from everything. There with the concubines. That's not a life. Can go walking in the country, I guess, just there in the palace. And again, only nice news, only good news, no mourning here, no sackcloth here, no wailing and crying in here, just happy faces here. And that's the life she was subjected to. She has no idea what's going on. Hatak went to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the decree for the destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go to the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hatak's running back and forth between the two, giving the messages. Mordecai says, Tell her to go before the queen, king, and you got to get this stopped. So Hatak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that anyone who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, has, but he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. Again, that's some marriage. 30 days, she hasn't even seen the king. So if they had a kid together, they easily could have, they married five years. I don't know, at 30, you know, not seeing each other for over 30 times in a month, maybe not, but they might have had a kid, and then the king, king might not even be seeing his kid, unless he decides to call him, to go play ball or something like that. So the, the childhood dream of, of having a husband, having a family, having a home together, it's gone. Yeah, she's queen. Well, it's a whole lot better than being one of the hundreds of concubines stuck there in the palace. But still, being the queen wasn't so great either. She can't even go in. 
She wants to talk to her husband about something. She can't even go without permission. And if she tries, she can be killed. That's some life. You're there with your eunuch friends and your maidservants and, your, and the concubines. And maybe a whole bunch of kids. In happy land. And so she tells him, no, I can't go in. No one's allowed in. They told Mordecai Esther's words. Well, before it was just Haytack going back and forth. Now all of a sudden it's a they. I guess she felt she needed some reinforcement here. She knows Mordecai well enough. He's not going to listen to Haytack. So she sends a whole crew there. You know, maybe some strong bodyguard type people or whatever. She sends some people there. And they tell Mordecai Esther's words. That's so Mordecai told them. To answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. Just because you're in the palace doesn't mean you're going to escape. Just because I told you to hide your religion and you have done so for five years now, or maybe nine years, we don't know when she got taken in to sit and wait her turn. Could have been anywhere from nine, five to nine years that she's been there in the palace. And he says, you're not going to escape either. Now, how come she's not going to escape? The death decree is to kill all the Jews, but no one knows she's a Jew. Right? She's hidden it pretty well. So how come she, Mordecai's saying she's not going to escape either? Who else knows? Well, Haytack might know, yeah. Well, now he knows. If he didn't know before, he probably had a good inkling that she's going back and forth between... Yeah, and he might tell on her. God knows. God knows. And if she denies him at this time, she denies God at this time, she's not going to be spared. Oh, she might be spared at this moment, this time, in this killing, but eventually her disobedience is going to catch up with her. And the devil knows also. And it's the devil, not Haman, who's out to kill all the Jews. And he's going to find a way to get to her too, especially if she goes out from underneath God's protection and disobeys God and doesn't stand up for God. She becomes an easy target for him. And that's what Mordecai's telling her. You won't escape. It's because you assimilated and we won't escape either. By having one foot in the world laughing and joking with the people at work with the worldly jokes and the same humor and the same words and the same cursing and the same attitudes and the same lifestyles that they do. Oh, they may seem buddy-buddy to us for a while, but that won't last forever. Hanging around with the wrong crowd eventually comes around to us as well can't get a good deal from a bad person. And you can't have a good friendship from a bad person. Eventually, it comes back to bite. Selfishness at heart eventually eats away at everyone and eats everyone around them. A selfish heart sucks everyone in. Right? So, hey, you might be one of the gang today, but eventually you become the bait as well. 
can make a pact with the devil today, but eventually it comes around. Many have. Oh, and it'll give them fame and fortune for a while, but many of them live short lives. Many of them live short careers. Many of them end up addicted or all kinds of problems. Oh, I'll make it shiny and appealing at, in the beginning. Make a pact with the devil, turn away from God, deny God, and eventually the devil will get us as well. Can't hide through assimilation, through pretending, through denial. We can only hide in the Lord. Our only protection is under his banner. Our only protection, our only help, our only salvation, our only deliverance is under his righteousness, under the sacrifice of the Messiah, under his blood-stained banner do we have help hiding under him protected under his wings that's where security is verse 14 for if you remain completely silent at this time relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish how does he know that deliverance will come from another place? Because of the promises that the Messiah is going to come. He knows that all the way back to Adam and Eve, that there's a promise that a seed is going to come through our line that's going to crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent's going to bite at his heel. He knows the promises that out of Bethlehem one will come, that through the seed of David, through the line of David, through the seed of Abraham, one is going to come. A lion of the tribe of Judah is going to come. So he knows that a, a deliverance has to come. We can't all be wiped out. There will remain a remnant. But if we don't do our duty, we in our household will be lost. Oh, we might be in the king's palace, but we will be lost. And even though Mordecai believes this, He's still wearing sackcloth and ashes and praying and crying and weeping and wailing. As many people I'm hearing today as they're seeing the things happening in the world around us and urgent appeals. We need to get ready. We need to be in prayer. We need to get other people ready. The Lord is coming. Things are going to happen on this earth such as the world has never seen. Oh, don't worry. God's in control. Yeah, God is in control. But the devil is still roaming around this earth, seeking whom he may devour. And more so than ever before, knowing that his time is short. Oh, God will work all things out. God raises kings and brings down kings. God answers prayer. God does those things in answer to prayer. Mordecai didn't just sit back, well, hey, deliverance is going to come, no doubt. No, that's why Esther became queen, no doubt. This, now it's all coming. Now I understand. 
He believes that, but at the same time, he's fasting and praying with sackcloth and ashes. We can have faith and we can pray. But to have faith without praying is not faith, it's presumption. And presumption will get us killed. Deliverance will come, but we in our household will perish. We're living in serious times. The book of Esther is not only a book of a historical book, it's a prophetic book of these last days. The death decree that will come to kill all of God's people. And we need to be ready, we need to be prepared, we need to be praying, and we need to be getting other people ready. We looked at some of those texts last week. If you missed that, you can watch Esther chapter 3 on shalomadventure.com. Go from John and Revelation and other places. Went into some more details uh, when we did America and Prophecy a few weeks ago. The lamb-like power of Revelation. Time is coming. Coming soon. God may hold it back for a while. And God will see us through. And God's final deliverance will come. The question is, is will we endure to the end? Will we be there? Will we remain faithful to the end? Or will we turn our backs on God? Will we fall away? And it all comes down to whether or not we're fasting and praying now and seeking the Lord now, earnestly trusting in the Lord now, dependent on the Lord now. Because when that time comes, we may not have time to get ready. We'll be so seeped in the world and so seeped in Babylon that it'll be like Lot's wife and not wanting to come out. So attached to the city, even if angels come to warn us and blind everyone in the city, it won't be enough for us to wake up and be willing to leave. We'll still turn back, longing for this world. Now is the time to be separated mentally, emotionally from the things of this world. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Powerful appeal. <laughs> Deliverance will come. Yes, yes, yes. God is in control. Yes. But you won't be delivered. You and your household, we're all going to perish if you don't stand up at this time. If you deny me before men, Yeshua has to deny us before his Father. But we've been called for such a time as this. We are so fortunate. All the way back from Enoch was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the destruction of this world, and the making, renewing of this world and bringing back the Garden of Eden. And we, I believe each one of us, can live to see the Lord coming in the cloud with all of his glory, with all of the Father's glory, with all of the angels, be a magnificent sight. Something no one else would have had the privilege to see. To see the dead in Messiah rise first. To see the wicked destroyed. 
to be gathered up with the righteous to meet the Lord in the air. What a precious experience awaits us. But of course, before comes the rainbow, comes the, the storm. <laughs> and we're right now we're in the calm before the storm. But the storm is coming. And the Lord will see us through as we hang on to him. As God saw Daniel through, Daniel could have shut the, shut the windows, told he couldn't pray for 30 days to anyone except the king. He could have hid his prayers. He could have prayed in his mind as he walked down the street. Again, he could have shut the shutters and prayed under his covers. But it would have ruined his witness. Everyone knew he prayed three times a day. And if he wouldn't have, it would have been a denial of God. God allowed him to get thrown into the lion's den, but God delivered him through the lion's den. His friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they could have pretended to be tying their sandals. We're not bowing down before the statue. We're just leaning down to tie our sandals here. Oh, I'm tired. I'm just going to lean down a little bit here for a while. They could have knelt down and not prayed to the idol. But it would have looked like they were praying to the idol and would have destroyed their witness. So they stood anyway, saw the fiery furnace, saw the flames, but did not bow down. And they were spared. Not until after they were thrown into the fire, but God saw them through the fire. God saw Daniel through the lion's den. And God will see us through the time of trouble. His deliverance, he will be there with us. There might be some martyrs along the way. That's okay. But God has called us to such a time as this. God has called us to be light at this time. To testify at this time to shine brightly at this time, to have his character perfected at this time so that we can be the bride without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, with no guile in our mouth. We have been called to such a time as this, to experience the latter rain outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for the perfecting of the grain, for the, for the maturing of the grain, for the preparing of God's people to meet him coming in the clouds. Such a time as this, like no other time in earth's history. What a privilege. What a blessing. God has called you and me for such a time in our lives to witness to those that we are in contact with to those in our circle of influence, in our neighborhood, in our family, in our workplace, in our school, and wherever we are and whatever we're doing, God has called you and me for such a time as this. While the rest of the world is going nuts and crazy, he calls us to stand out. 
God created humans, he knows how he created humans, and he created each person as they are to be. We know not only what we are and who we are, we know how we got here. Well, the world has no idea. Coming up with all kinds of theories. The world is so confused. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't even know who they are. Such a time as this, like no other time in our history. Blatant disregard for God. The denial of God. And we can sit back and wonder, why am I here? Why have I been called to be the queen? Why have I been this queen for five years? Why have I been here in the king's palace for five to nine years? Why am I in this job? Why am I at this place? Why do I end up with those parents? Why do I end up with those siblings? Why do I end up with those children? Why do I have these neighbors, these people I work with? God knows. And we might not know for five years, nine years, maybe longer. But then God tells us, this is why you're there. You were called for such a time as this. This is your purpose. This is why you're there. And that whole time, we need to be developing up those contacts, shining as lights. Again, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they didn't just be, have the courage to stand and to pray all of a sudden when that decree came to not pray or to bow down to the statue. No, they'd been developing it all along from chapter 1 in the book of Daniel all the way through. Not willing to eat the king's food and deny God on that. Willing to die instead of eating the king's stuff. On the little things, the daily things. Little by little by little. And then when boom, all of a sudden, the edict comes forth. They knew what to do. They've been doing it all along. They were living in literal Babylon, but they were not a part of Babylon. And we're living in the belly of the beast, but we don't have to be a part of the beast. God has called you for such a time as this. To let your light shine. Patiently wait for God to open the door. And then all of a sudden, maybe after five years, nine years, whatever time period, they'll ask a question. I just was talking with a friend. She was telling me her brother for years and years and years wanted to know nothing about her faith. Derided it, put it down, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he asked a question, and one question led to another. Now they're studying the Bible together. They've been studying the Bible now together for several weeks together. Absolutely amazing. Wait upon the Lord. Wait for the opening. Wait for the opportunity. Be faithful all the way along. Be consistent in your walk with God. And let God open the time. See, this is why you're there. This is why you were called. God has a calling for each one of us. He's preparing us, preparing the situations and circumstances around us for us to represent him to this world.
Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go and gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. Again, it doesn't mention praying, but no doubt that's what they wanted her to do, to pray. She wanted them to do, to pray. It's not just not eating, but it's not eating so they pray. And you might want to adopt a, a prayer time at this time. Maybe fast and pray for three days. Drink water. When it says don't drink, you must have had water talking about don't drink, drink. Don't be drinking grape juice or some other drink. But certainly drink water. You don't want to go three days. You don't even want to go one day without water. Really, even shouldn't go a few hours without water. So drink water. Take time to pray. Or maybe it's just a meal. Or it doesn't even have to be food. If you want to fast from, take a day off of work. Yeah, or fast from the internet, right? If you're accustomed to going to the internet, it's three days of no internet. Or one day, or whatever. But take some time and pray. Or you can do a Daniel type of prayer. He prayed, I forget how many, three weeks I think it was, by not eating any sweets, not eating any cakes or anything, not eating any meats, not drinking any drinks. Certainly he had water. You can do that. Fast, pray, draw near to God. And present the situation in your life and in the country's life and in the world's life right now before him. We're living in serious times. And again, Esther could have said, well, if deliverance is going to come, the Messiah has got to come. Well, then I can just go in before the king. If that's the case, well, then I'll just go and tell him. I'll just go speak to him right now. I'll go knock on his door. God's in control. Don't worry. Be happy. Everything's going to be all right. Things will continue as they have since the beginning. No, they're not going to continue as they have since the beginning. Things are going to radically change. Unless God steps in and puts in the pause button again and just gave us a warning. We need to be in prayer. We need to be fasting. We need to be praying. We need to be surrendered. We need to be prepared. We need to have our hearts and minds ready for the time that's coming upon this world. And so she tells him, go and fast and pray. She didn't say pray, but go and fast. No doubt pray for three days. I will do so likewise, night and day. And then I'll go in to the king. We can have Bible promises and we can claim those promises, but those promises need to still be made with prayer. We say, well, God said he'll provide for all my needs. Well, how come he's not providing for my needs? But the Bible also says if you have not because you ask not. Right? So the promises need to be coupled with prayer. Faith and prayer working together. Reading the word of God. In the word of God on a daily basis. Hearing from him. Being directed by him. And sharing him with others. So she tells him, yes, God, deliverance will come. But I want to be a part of that too. So fast and pray for me. And so be praying for God to open doors before he sends you to share his love with others.
Yeah, you might be saying, boy, I wish my sibling would want to hear the Bible like that lady's story. Well, have you been praying for your sibling? Or the co-worker? Or the neighbor? Or the jerk? <laughs> right? We need to be praying. And then God can open the door. Verse 16, I will go to the king which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. This is a pinnacle part of the book. This is the height of the book. Even if everything ends here, she wins. Even if she perishes, she wins. Because that's the state we need to be in. Here she's representing Yeshua. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And if I go down into the grave and if I never come up, that's fine. And that's what it meant to drink the cup, to die the death. When we say Yeshua died for us, it didn't mean just for three days. He died the second death. He died the everlasting death. He was willing to go down and never come up again. Total separation from the Father forever. That's the death he died for us. Well, the Father didn't take him up on it and resurrected him on the third day. But that's how far he was willing to go. Like Moses. Blot my name out if they can't be in heaven also. Like Paul, I wish I could be accursed for my brethren's sake. Cut off permanently, accursed of God. Hung on a tree, forever separated from God. Being willing to perish. Dying to this world. Dying to self. Willing to die. We're willing to die for the Lord. We're willing to say, to stand for the Lord. If the laws of the land go against the word of God. The laws of the land go against the laws of God. Or I should say, when the laws of the land go against the laws of God. I'm willing to stand for the laws of God and perish. I'm willing to die for my faith. I'm willing to die for the Lord. It might be easy to say in this setting. Peter said it. I, even, I will come, I will stand with you, I will go with you, I will die with you. And within a few hours, he's denying him. In a few hours, not even, he's running away from him. to save his life. It's one thing to say. Well, how will we know if we're willing to die for him? If we're willing to die for him now in dying to self, in dying to the things of this world, are we willing to die to the habits of this world? We won't even fast for a meal. What do you think we're going to... We willing to lay down our life for him? 
We're not willing to stop watching something that we shouldn't be watching, stop reading what we shouldn't be reading, stop participating in things that we shouldn't be participating in, start doing what we should be doing. We're not willing to obey him now. We're not going to be willing to die for him. We're not willing to have self-crucified now. Then we won't be willing to have the flesh die for him then. Now is the time to be separating from this world. Now is the time to be dying to the things of this world and living for God. Thus, even if we do literally die for the Lord, we will live forever with him. If we're living with him now, and if we're living for him now, we will live with him forever. Now is the time. Come out of Babylon. Come out of Babylon, my people. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. Come out of her, my people. Corruption of this world. Of every unclean bird. Come out of it. And now is the time. And the longer we put it off, the harder it will be. Again, these here in Sushan, they shouldn't have been there. And thus they had to go through this hard time. And it didn't just last this one day, it ends up lasting 11 months. A fear of never knowing what's going to happen. Get ready, stay ready, get other people ready. Warn them. If we're not willing to go and tell our co-worker our faith for fear, oh, they might reject it, oh, they might say, I don't want to hear that stuff. Not willing to give a card, an invitation to a service, or give a, give a track to someone because they may throw it away. They may say, oh, I don't want that. So what are you, nuts? What are you, a religious fanatic? We're not willing to speak up for him now, but for fear of receiving some kind of rejection. We're not willing to put a bumper sticker on our car because someone might not like it. What makes you think we're going to stand when the testing time comes, what makes you think you're going to be willing to die for him? If we're not living out our faith now. If we're not willing to receive the little rejections we might receive in this country. In other countries, they're receiving full, I mean, they'll get beaten, they'll get their houses taken, they'll get thrown in prison, they'll get killed. Here? Hello? You might lose your job. We're willing to lose our job for the Lord. Willing to be unfriended here and now for our faith. Let our faith so shine before men. Stand for the Lord. And if we perish, we perish. Perishing is not the end. That's okay. Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. You see, Esther's been obeying Mordecai all along, and now Mordecai's willing to obey Esther. She said, go and get everyone to fast and pray. He goes and does that for three days. And they're fasting and praying. Again, not saying, oh, don't worry, God's in control. 
fasting and praying so that God will be in control. Give him permission to be in control of your life. Give him permission to be in control of this world. Because the devil has stolen it away. We need to fast and pray. We need to go and get other people praying and warning the world and preparing the world for his coming. Karen wrote a song. We can keep the video going. Uh, Karen wrote a song that goes along with this. Um, she wrote it a few, yeah, come on up. She uh, wrote it a few weeks ago and she uh, sent it to me and I said, that'll fit perfect when we get to Esther willing to take her stand. And so she's going to sing that for us, play that for us on her guitar and sing for us. And then in a moment I'll make an appeal for us to stand with God. And so as she's singing and praying, may we make our decisions to be with him as well. Yeah, I only just wrote this. And it's just a little ditty. But it's important because we are at a place. I gotta say something real quick. Do you realize that Mordecai had already been fasting and praying, and now he's gonna do it for three more days? Good point. I never even thought about that until you're saying that. Mordecai is committed. Um, sorry, that was a bunny hunt. Um, we're at a crossroads, we're at a place right now where we have to make some serious decisions. And, you know, Rabbi was hitting it on the head as usual. Um, if we are ashamed of him, we don't have the guts to stand in front of people and talk to them. And I don't mean crowds necessarily. I'm a stage girl, I get it, okay? But um, if you can't do it now, how are you gonna do it then? So as I, as I play this song, there's going to come a point where you're going to stand up. Doesn't have to be at the beginning, but I pray for your sakes that it's by the end. Somebody has to stand up. Why not me? Why not me? Somebody has to speak up. Why not me?
If you are experiencing difficulties in your life right now because of maybe some choices you made in the past, you didn't come out of Babylon in some area of your life and, and it's caught up with you, you need to be redeeming the time and claiming the Messiah's sacrifice of forgiveness over that and ask him to cleanse it, the sin of the past, and to deliver you from the circumstances right now. Then in a moment when we pray, you can ask him to do that. Secondly, if you've been wondering why you're in your situation, why you were called to a palace, or why you were called wherever you're at, why you've been there, haven't seen why, don't know why, why you didn't get to live out the dream that you originally imagined, why you're in where you are. You want to ask God to give you patience to wait for the opportunity to show itself of why you were called for such a time as this, to be where you are, where he has placed you, to grow where you have been planted. Third, there's some area of your life where you're still in the world, where you're still alive to self, still alive in sin, my sin is in your heart and mind, some area that you haven't surrendered to the Lord yet. Some action you should be doing that the Bible commands you to do and you're not doing. Some area the Bible tells you don't do and you've been doing it anyway. Somewhere where you're still like the world. God's calling you to come out of the world. In a moment when we pray, you can ask the Lord to take you out of the world. Forgive you, to cleanse you give you a new heart, new desire, victory over the sin, victory over the habit, victory over the, that area of your life. And so in a moment we pray, if that applies to you, you can do that. If you're willing to stand for him and live for him and ask him to prop you up, for him to hold you up, like Aaron and her are holding your hands, stand and witness for him, Testify for him, to not be ashamed of him. In a moment when we pray, ask him to give you his spirit, his light of rain to shine out of you. And if you want the grace and the power to make it through these last days, and to be able to endure to the end, to remain faithful for him, to him. That moment when we pray, ask for his spirit to give you that grace. Have his character perfected in you, his robe of righteousness over you, to make you his bride, 
being willing to, to testify for him, even if it means rejection. In a moment when we pray, ask him to give you that courage, that boldness, that strength, that determination. Ask him to go before you, to lead the way, to soften the hearts. If you haven't been on a regular devotional schedule, you haven't been praying daily, you haven't been reading the Word of God daily, and you realize you need to be, you want the Lord to place you on that. Confess trying to do it in your own strength. Confess failing. Ask him to give you his courage, his power, his strength, his victory, his, his Holy Spirit, his devotion to him, his love for him, his love for his word, the gift of all prayer, the armor of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, to be clothed in him on a daily basis. Does any of those areas apply to you? In a moment when we pray, let God do his work in your life. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for people like Esther, people like Mordecai, who are willing to stand for you who were placed in position to testify of you. I'm willing to die for you and willing to live for you. Lord, make us like that. Fill us with that same spirit. Fill us with that same ruach. Cleanse us from all sin. Wash out of us everything that's not of you. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for perishing for us. And give us such a love and appreciation for what you've done for us that we're willing to perish for you. Come inside us and live inside us. Manifest your life in us and out of us. Make us living testimonies for you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.